Hello and welcome to the Messages and Methods Livecast Life 2.0 Livestream Podcast, hosted by Encore Entrepreneurs Shelley Carney and Toby Eunice. We inspire excitement for content creation and marketing your brand and business while answering all your technology and digital marketing questions. We love to help you, our content creator friends, with actionable tips to land more clients, nurture leads, and gain trust as an expert in your industry. Chat with Shelley and Toby live every Thursday on YouTube or Facebook. Hello and welcome to Messages and Methods. I'm your host, Shelley Carney. And I'm your other host, Toby Yunus. The title of today's show is Shelley and Toby were never the same after the Fen treasure was found. The Fen treasure being found was the pivotal event that sent us reeling and trying to recover our balance. The Fen treasure had been found and we had to find a new way and a new topic to stay motivated and active online. Then we realized that while we were creating tons of content, along with building a loyal community of viewers, we learned valuable skills that we could use to build a business. We have a strategic conversation that we're going to share with you today about the basics of content marketing and how to implement them consistently to expand your brand and business. But first, what do you got? Um, my housekeeping. So we would appreciate it before you leave today. Ooh, hold on there. We'd appreciate it if before you leave today, you like our video, YouTube likes it when you like our video, share it with your family, your friends, your neighbors, your business associates, the entirety of your social media network. And then finally, if you, so that we can grow the channel. And finally, if you are not already a subscriber, this would be the ideal time to subscribe uh, so that every time we start a live stream, you'll be immediately informed. And as a result, in the know. In the know. And there's nothing better in life, ladies and gentlemen, than being in the know. I do want to advise you that the super chat light is lit. If you'll go down to the bottom of the chat window, you'll see a dollar bill icon. Click on that dollar bill icon, and the good folks at YouTube will walk you through making a donation to our project. Messages and methods. Back to you, Shel. Okay. So let's get started with our conversation today and talk about what we were doing before we were doing this. And that was, we were running a channel called A Gypsy's Kiss. Uh, if you want to know more about why we called the channel A Gypsy's Kiss, we have a book that we wrote about that. And uh, we talked about the Forest Fen treasure. There were a lot of people who were interested in finding the treasure and uh, interpreting the clues um, and just getting together to talk and hang out with each other. And we tapped into that community we started a YouTube channel, and when we hit a thousand subscribers, we started live streaming our shows every week, and we would get an audience anywhere from thirty people up to three hundred people showing up for our shows and just having a good time in the chat room, keeping everything active and just supporting us in our um, content creation. And it was a loyal community. We had a lot of fun with them, and they showed up. Whenever we did anything, it could be, you know, we were testing our equipment. They'd show up to see what we were up to. Celebrating so it was, New Year's. It was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So um, what was the best part of creating videos for the Forest Fen Treasure community to you, Toby? Uh, the best part was, um, well, there were two things. Number one, I really enjoyed going out in the field. 
and documenting those adventures. And number two, uh, learning about live streaming because it was uh, our evolution with the Forest Fen Treasure Hunt was coincided with uh, learning with YouTube's pursuit of live streaming as actually a, uh, a product line, right? In addition to uploading videos and shorts and all the other things that they do, live streaming become very, became very important to them. And they started investing both uh, manpower and money into it. And so it gave us the opportunity to explore it right at the beginning and learn all the lessons and mistakes that we needed to learn in order to become the live streamers that we are today. And I would call us amongst the top 10% of live streaming skills uh, on YouTube or any other platform for that matter. I mean, I think that that was uh, what was great about uh, Gypsy's Kiss. But I wanna go back a little bit before that to it, it, the establishment of a Gypsy's Kiss. Because up until that time, up until we decided to go with Gypsy's Kiss, I had made money only one way. And that was by providing a service to my clients. Okay. That's what it boiled down to. My entire career after leaving the NSA, it was all about serving clients and providing services that were I could provide because they were unique to what they required. <clears throat> when I retired back to New Mexico and I started a searching for the treasure, I became more active in uh, Albuquerque as a community and started providing services and I was getting paid for them. And one of the things that I was getting paid for is especially by Forrest Finn was live streaming services. So that led us to uh, uh, streaming New Mexico, which was the business we formed. We were very active and we, again, we made money providing services. So when you called that one day and you said, we need to establish a YouTube channel, I wasn't even thinking YouTube channel. I was thinking about what are the next services that I can provide, right? And it was all based on my other skills, my documentary making and journalism skills, because that's, that's where I always ended up. And so when you call and you said, let's make a YouTube channel, I knew that there was money to be made by starting a YouTube channel. Uh, but I knew it was made by people with millions of subscribers, things like that. So I, I didn't, I was enthusiastic about it because it gave me a reason to kind of refocus on the treasure hunt and see if we could do that as, as a result. And it worked out. But there was a transition in the way I made money. And it went from providing services to people that uh, required my skills, the, the unique combination of skills that I can bring to the table, to producing content in a way that, that generated revenue by views and advertising and things like that. And that was a completely different model for me. Uh, and that was just based on uploading videos because that's what we did. We pre-recorded everything and uploaded. And then at some point, I don't remember specifically when, when we decided to start live streaming. And we did it slowly at first. We didn't go whole hog into it. But our audience liked it so much, we thought, well, let's just do this. And it the benefit that I saw was no more editing, right? I didn't have to spend time in the dark editing footage so that I could get a product out for uh, YouTube, this was easy because you just do a live stream like we are today and produce uh, content. Uh, 
So it was a very different model for me, uh, uh, a gypsy's kiss, but it was very rewarding because we did, we did collect subscribers up to almost 7,000. We were getting views. We were getting watch time and YouTube was rewarding us with impressions and money. Uh, and so it became very um, addictive. Like, oh, so you mean all I have to do is live stream once a week and I can get views and advertising and view money? Yeah, let's do that. So I think it's important to go back and look at the history and what got us to that point and what made A Gypsy's Kiss so rewarding to us and valuable to us because it meant like ah, minimum work, but you know, making money at it. So, um, but you moved away from the, the, the services production model. Okay. Um, and yet, because there was a community out there that wanted to get together online, we did provide a service. We provided them a place and a time to come together and talk about something that they were all interested in and sharing their ideas and their views. We even offered um, phone lines so they could call in uh -huh. and talk to you uh -huh. about whatever it is that they had to say. And then people in the chat room could make comments on those phone calls. And um, I mean, even years later, people were looking at those videos to see who had called and did, you know, the finder of the treasure call and uh -huh. they found some of those phone calls. So it was a service in that it gave people a place to, you know, rather than an in-person event, it was a weekly event that they could attend online and they looked forward to it. Um, and it gave them, you know, some community. We gave them the ability to form a community. So I think that was a big service. And I think that was one of the things that I enjoyed about it was bringing people together who had never met or talked to each other before. And uh, we did get to meet some of those people. And uh -huh. they, you know, we found a lot of really wonderful, smart, engaging, lovely people that way. We also found some of the opposite of that, but <laughs> we focus on the good stuff. Uh -huh. So I agree that we were providing a service, but it was in the context of views and watch time. That we made our money. Right. Yes. The service, the service was a way to establish what was necessary to produce revenue. Mm -hmm. And I don't disagree with you that we had a lot of fun. We met a lot of great people. We uh, learned a lot of lessons. We mm -hmm. grew in our knowledge of, you know, the, how to use YouTube to do that. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, to me, when you provide a service, you have to be able to tie it to, because it's an investment in time and money, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, you have to be able to tie it to the return on that investment in time and money. Yeah. And we tried to do that. We had a, a membership. And of course, we are servicing <laughs> to, we're in the middle, right? We're servicing YouTube and being content creators, providing content on YouTube to draw people in, to be on YouTube, to watch YouTube. So they paid us uh, with, you know, advertising uh -huh. money. Yeah. Uh, and then we provided a service to the community by giving them a, a time and a place to gather and the ability to talk to each other in the chat room, to talk to us, uh, to listen to us, and to just have a good time. Um, it was an entertainment, but there was no other fees to it other than 
uh, watching commercials if they were watching mm-hmm. later. Right. Um, but then, of course, we tried different things to make money, uh, including a membership or you know putting out a an ebook or different things to bring people in. Uh, but nothing really clicked in the making money uh, from it because the service itself was free mm-hmm. that we were offering. Them. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So the the thing that makes any product or service uh, grow in status, in stature, is how much it costs. Yeah. And if it's free to our audience, then it's going to grow in status and, and service in spite of itself. And the best example is our friend PewDiePie, who has tens of millions of subscribers, and his service is providing an audience the ability to watch him play games. But they also come together as a community and talk to each other and yeah, make comments in the chat room and all that. Well, there there is that. I mean, it's, in, in that case, it's probably a bad example because if you've ever watched his chat room, it's chaos, pure chaos, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's going at 100 comments a second mm-hmm. uh, when you have that many people in the room. But the, the, I think the point is that um, if you're going to expect that your service is producing content for YouTube, you better figure out how to grow because your content for YouTube is going to make money for you in one of three ways, advertising, views, or super chat or super and, and um, th- super thanks, mm-hmm. right? That's how you make money from YouTube. And I guess I should clarify that. If you, if you plan on making money from YouTube, you actually make money in one of three ways uh, or all three ways. Uh, number one, YouTube pays you for the number of views that your channel gets. Now, the, the numbers aren't a dollar of view. It's like more a mill of view. Then they pay you uh, for click-throughs on the advertising they place on. So you as a viewer have indicated your interests in a lot of ways, whether you're using any of the Google products, including YouTube. So if you did a search, for example, on Google, Google for camping frying pans, you can be assured that if you don't have YouTube Premium, YouTube Premium enables you to eliminate the, the advertising, uh, that the next time you're on YouTube, you're going to start getting... Advertisements for camping frying pans uh, because they they know that about you. Um, and every time you click on that, if you if they if someone one of their advertisers is advertising camping frying pans and you click on that, we make a little money. And then of course the third way is by us asking you for money. I I did at the beginning of this show. Once you get to a thousand subscribers and four thousand hours watch time, you can say there's a dollar bill at the bottom of the chat window. Uh, a dollar bill icon at the bottom of the chat window. If you click on that, YouTube will walk you through giving, uh, making a donation to us. And we get 70% of it. YouTube takes 30% of that. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the third way that you can make money. So, But you do that based on the production of content. If you do nothing else, if you don't do memberships, if you don't do you know, digital conversations, products. new pardon, digital products, digital products. You don't, you're still going to make money from those three things. And I think uh, a lot of YouTubers, especially the new one, envision that, right? Envision that I'm going to make money by a producing content and benefiting from the, the that being on YouTube and the production of the having produced that content, the long term, what do you call it, evergreen value 
of that content. We still make money on a gypsy's kiss. And that's because people are still viewing watch time. They're still um, engaging. They're still, uh, we don't get chat money, of course, uh, uh, super thanks, uh, but they do click on advertising. So we still make money on Gypsy's Kiss, which is, you know, 800 videos of a topic that for us is relatively dormant, I guess, for a lack of a better way to describe it. Well, since you're on the topic of how do people make money on YouTube, this is from Tim Schmoyer, who is um, who built a business that was purchased by vidIQ. So it's always been about YouTube. And he said, We've discovered that many smaller creators make more money than some bigger creators. This is because there is more personal connection and the conversation rate to their personal businesses is higher. Our advice to you is do not depend on YouTube for income. It's a huge platform and they aren't looking out for you, the individual creator. Building a business off the platform is what leads to success. So after hearing that, um, let's talk about how you felt when the treasure was found and what made you decide to build a business teaching live streaming and offering production services? So it was a, a combination of things. Uh, number one, it was, and I'm, I'm going to use this word uncharacteristically because I'm not this kind of person, but it was the discouragement of not having a reason to get up every morning and do a live stream, right? It's over. And you could fake it for a while. Oh, but we need to make sure it's over. Suppose Jack didn't find. Suppose all these other these, these all these other, you know, bits of conjecture about what really happened. Mm -hmm. Well, here's what really happened: Forrest Fenn hit a treasure, and Jack Stu found it. Right. And since then, other things have happened. None of which I believe, uh, in in my opinion, I'm not. I don't mean to knock anybody. In my opinion, simply aren't worth my time. Right, and I'm, and I'm gonna make that very personal. I don't have any reason to continue pursuing something that is effectively dormant, right? Including the maintaining of a channel. It doesn't do me any good because I have a limited amount of time in the rest of my life. So I'd like to invest that time in things that if I'm, so I have to make another point. I don't have to work, I'm retired. And I built my retirement income, I, I get, checks every month just for being retired, right? So I don't need to work if I don't want to. I do it for a variety of reasons, uh, including I like spending time with my business partner. I like doing the things together that we do and that we both enjoy doing. And I like keeping active, right? If, if, if I didn't do this, there wouldn't be much else other than, you know, taking care of my yard and riding a bike as far as I can that I would be doing. So this is always energizing to have something to do um, every week that makes me happy because it produces something. Um, so what happened when we stopped producing significant revenue from a gypsy's kiss, we had to look at alternatives and we tried several alternatives, new channels, new ideas for channels, new, um, ways to look at channels. But the simple fact of the matter is we, none of that is, the provision of unique services. And if you want to make money in the world, you make money, generally speaking, from experience, the capitalist way, how Adam Smith suggested it, you make money one of two ways. You provide a unique product in a timely manner. And what I mean by that, at its right time, this would be a terrible time for a Model A Ford, right? So it's a unique product in a timely manner 
or a unique service in a timely manner when it's ready for uh, when it's ready and people are looking for it well we had to make a decision is about that because once you make that decision once you make the decision that I'm either going to provide a timely product or I'm going to provide a timely service you've just committed to more hours in your week to doing that because that requires time and money um you can get onto youtube with very little investment certainly not money that you have to invest every month uh and start building a channel on a in a unique idea um i i am always reminded of that little boy that started when he was 5 and um and uh started playing with toys and talking about his toys and now he has he's i don't know i think he's 12 now and he has 20 million subscribers and he still talks about toys so that had a lot of characteristics that was unique, but it's a YouTube-based model uh, where the investment in time and money is made in building your audience. And as Shelly said, and as uh, our friend um, Tim, Schmoyer. Tim Schmoyer says, the odds of that happening are very small. There is a limited number, you know, fewer than 10% of the people that have YouTube channels or any other social media channels for that matter, fewer than 10% are actually making a living wage or the equivalent of I, I make enough money so that I don't have to, it's not a side hack. This is my primary source of income and keeps me and my family living. And you'll see those channels all the time. And it's taken them years. There are, there are moments of magic where somebody starts a YouTube channel and they get mentioned on, I'm reminded of that lady on TikTok that had the emu. Um, I, I forgot his name now, but she she conversed on her farm with this emu that was always knocking her phone over. And she went to from 52 subscribers to 2.5 million subscribers in less than a month. And it was unique and it was funny. And because Jimmy, they were talking about her on television. Jimmy Kimmel. Yeah, yeah. Jimmy Kimmel invited her to be on the show. Uh, and suddenly she was a TikTok contributor user. And what's really funny is I don't see as much of her. I used, I used to follow her. I still follow her just to see what she was doing next. And I just don't see as much content from her as I did when she first started. So uh, it's interesting to see what happens to people like that because I don't think she expected her life was going to change in that way. Right. You Suddenly have to be set up, up for it. Yeah. You have to understand what it means to be a content creator, to get uh, monetized, to get monetized and to, you know, get brand deals and all of the things that come with right. being an influencer. Right. It's a totally new career that if you're not prepared for it and you don't understand what it involves, then it can be overwhelming and you might need to get, you know, some kind of coaching to get you through to be, you know, to the other side where you're a professional at it rather than just, uh, just talk to my emu. <laughs> right. And and there are things that occur as a result. Number one, you have no idea how the attention factor changes mm -hmm. and you have no idea how the volume of hate changes. Right. Yeah. So one of the problems with becoming popular in today's world is that you have 80% of the people who love you. It's that 20% thing yeah. that I'm always talking about, but there's 20% of the world out there that's going to hate you. Sure. And, and it's going to be a range of hate. They hate themselves yeah. and they just spread that out on right. everybody else. So, so you have to be prepared for that. And a lot of people aren't prepared for that kind of hate. Yeah. Just coming on from, from perfect strangers, people yeah. you don't know. You have to have an understanding yeah. of what it's about and that yeah. it's not about you. Right. 
And so we've had those conversations because we got some of that like everybody else. I don't say we got a lot of it, but we did get some. And we learned what to do with that. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was easy uh, for me to take care to ignore, of it. And some things you have to take yeah. stand on. You have yeah. to know the difference. Right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that leads you to eventually trying enough things that it, it, what, what made AGK grow in the way that it did is that there was already, Forrest Fenn had already built a community for us, right? He had already sold books. He'd already gotten a lot of publicity. So it was ready to be tapped in some way that you could do it. And as long as you didn't do it, and I think that was one of the things that we did rightly, was we didn't do it to take advantage of what Forrest Fenn was doing. As a matter of fact, a lot of the uh, products that we produced, a lot of the content we produced was in direct contradiction to what he was doing, uh, to the extent that sometimes it made him mad. But our, we weren't doing it to leverage off of him, although, of course, you had to believe that was part of it. We did it because we felt like we could produce credible content. And I think that's what the community appreciated. We always had something well, to you say. You find a hole and you fill it. Right. Right. You, we saw a hole. There was this community. They didn't have a way to come together and talk to each other other than the forums. Uh, we provided a more fun, a more upbeat, a more positive place to come together. And we didn't allow a bunch of uh, mean negativity and uh, attacking right. behaviors. And so other people who were afraid of that kind of behavior on the forums come to us could come to our community and be treated with respect and knew that it would be a safe place right. to talk and to meet other people and not have to be afraid of being attacked in right. a forum. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was the right thing to do at the right time. We certainly benefited by it, but then on June 6th, 2020, it all came to a crashing halt. It did. And uh, it was funny because I think I took it more personally than she, uh, not personally is not the right word. I took it harder than Shelly did. Um, and I think the reason was I had probably invested more of my um, my being right into the treasure hunt. I was the one that spent more time actually looking for the treasure as opposed to produ producing content. And I had done that since 2012. And so I had a lot of time and money invested it, both of which I could afford. I was retired didn't have the time to do it. And it happened to coincide with things that I like being outside, going fishing, going camping, uh, et cetera. Uh, so I took it a little bit harder. Shelly, on the other hand, looked at us and she said, she looked at me and she said, what are we going to do next? And I hadn't even considered that. I, like everybody else thought this thing was going to go on forever. You know, that I would, <laughs> that the treasure hunt would outlive me. Yeah. And they were, I wouldn't have to worry. We'd just keep building our channel. And, uh, and that's not what happened. And I wasn't, and I don't think anybody, honestly, I think there was a very small part of the community that expected that to happen. I was doing an interview with one of the, um, one of the shows that cover this on, on the large channels and, and, or on TV. And I'm trying to remember the question they asked, what, what, why was it such a shock? And the, and I answered and I said, there's actually two reasons. Number one, we just didn't expect it was ever going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody expected that, that everybody expected this treasure hunt was going to outlive Forrest and then it was going to outlive us unless we found it. And that was the second thing. 
nobody expected that anyone else besides them was going to find the treasure. And the combination of uh, those two things, one, it was found, and two, damn it, it wasn't me, threw the community into a tailspin. Yeah. And that's when a lot of, I think a lot of the, there was a lot of negativity that I felt like came out, that came out. And I was glad we went to do other things, aside from the fact that doing other things included writing a book that I should Mm -hmm. have written, you know, a long time before. Yeah. Well, I feel like it was a catharsis. It was a, a catalyst for change. And it was a relief. It was, to me, it was like, oh, we finally have an out. We mm-hmm. don't have to do this anymore. Right. Yeah. Now we get to choose something new. Yeah. And we chose to write a book and have our own treasure hunt. And people got behind that and they got excited oh. about it. And then when that was over, we were like, you know, I don't know if we want to do that. Maybe we'll do it again. Maybe we won't. And we really thought about that for mm-hmm. a while. And we came to the conclusion that treasure hunts were done with for us. Right. We, we were done with them. By December of 2020, we had right. came to came to the conclusion that it just wasn't our cup of tea anymore. We wanted something different. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, and that's not to say we haven't got to, uh, on occasion, gotten back to it. It was the probate case was of great interest to me because it was the law and the law is always of great interest to me. So it was a way to get back to it, but I didn't expect that that was going to, I think what you have to do, it, the thing about the forest fen treasure it, and and almost anything else, but when it comes to this thing, it, it there's a limited life with everything. You know, the treasure hunt had a limited life. Forced Fenn had a limited life. Jack Stoof had a limited life. The probate case had a limited life. So you you go on kind of to the next thing, and the next thing is the fact that this uh, LLC, Tesoro Sagrado, has bought the treasure and is giving it to heritage auctions, and heritage auctions is going to break it down piece by piece and auction everything off or in a 30-day auction. So it's going to be an online bidding thing, and it's not going to be daily active like um, uh, Forrest Venn's uh, uh, collection was with, what was that auction house? I don't remember. I thought it was Heritage, was it? No, hmm. I, don't, I don't think so. Anyway, no. so it's a different style of auction. And um, this uh, company that bought the treasure, and, and this is, uh, I haven't personally validated any of this. I'm just assuming that what the people that are talking about it are accurately representing what happens. So this company bought the chest from uh, Jack. He either did or didn't get the money that he expected, but I'm sure he got some money. And it was certainly more money than he had at any given point in time. So he got what he wanted because that's what he agreed to. And now they're going to, they're going to get supposedly their money back. Now, um, so that will continue and then that will end, right? And then there'll be people who own some piece of this treasure that might carry it a little forward. So, you know, if you're one of the members of the community and you get to buy a couple of these uh, pieces that were affordable, then you can make. So the, the point that I'm trying to make is sooner or later, this the life of the, this conversation ends. And it depends when you decide when it ends for you, for us. For me, it ended in June of 2020. For us, mine. (laughs) For you, you're still on it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I can still get an interest in it to know what's going on, uh, but I'm not going to invest any time in producing content related to that. Um, If I could find a way, now, let me say, if I want to say this, if I could find a way to provide services that produced revenue. Um, without making videos, without making uh, producing live streams, I would do it. 
But part of the services that we provide, and Shelly's going to talk about that in just a minute, part of the services that we provide requires a level of time and money investing in the evolution of technologies to ensure that you, you establish your credibility by doing what you say you help other people do. And that's when we get back to that service model. For me, that's a much more productive model. I would rather invest time and money in that model than just producing content. Okay. So you say that you're retired and you don't need an income. Uh, people who are in the retirement years and start up another business, a home-based business, we refer to them as encore entrepreneurs. You bring forward your uh, years of work experience and knowledge and wisdom that you've gained and throughout your your work years and you start another business out of your home based on what you've learned is a good opportunity this is a service that people want they come to me and they ask me these questions and I help them why not turn that into a business so that's very often what encore entrepreneurs are doing or uh, in the case of my friend Peter he has been a financial planner for many many years but he wanted to niche down to people who um, you know are affluent and they want to leave a legacy and he's working with them to uh, on philanthropy projects mm -hmm. and that's a special uh, passion of his so people can either niche down what they were already doing like that or they can begin a business uh, that serves the needs of the, pe the people who end up coming to them and asking them the same kinds of questions over and over again so what uh, why should Encore entrepreneurs use content marketing to promote and expand their businesses? So I like the way that you put that. Uh, why should they use content marketing to expand their businesses? And I think the way you say that, the implication is what I would prefer to hear. Content marketing is separate from but slightly connected to uh, building your business, right? So the first question you have to ask is, what is my business? Well, I told, you know, and I'll go back to my example. My business is helping other people use content marketing to expand their business, right? That's the service I provide. Um, why content marketing? Because it's easy, it's an easy way to do marketing. That's why it's called marketing, right? Um, and, uh, once you learn how to do that and use it as a marketing tool, as opposed to a revenue producing tool, you want, you get to understand the differences, uh, with which, right. The, the clients that we have aren't going to, ex aren't expecting to make a million dollars from producing videos. They're expecting to make a million dollars from providing a service and the videos are an easy way uh, and a very contemporary way of marketing those services. I have to excuse myself for just a moment. Okay. So can you cover this one? <laughs> just a couple of seconds. I guess I will. So why should Encore entrepreneurs use content marketing to promote and expand their businesses? As Toby said, it's a very contemporary way. And a lot of times, uh, 
encore entrepreneurs have a lot of marketing experience, but it's from other ways of doing marketing, whether that's uh, mailing, you know, direct mail, or uh, going to conferences and speaking and uh, promoting their business with uh, at trade shows and with booths. Or um, there are a lot of ways that people have used over the years, but now we're in a place where we're cutting back on business travel. We're cutting back on expenses of going places and mail and uh, mail services has, you know, the price has gone up and, and it's become so much easier to email, to do things digitally, uh, to provide video that people can access. So it is cost effective. It's much quicker um, on the turnaround and uh, it's become so easy and user-friendly that anybody can do it. So, and of course we have the networks, right? Whereas it used to be, you could put a commercial up on television and all of the people locally would see it, or you could put it up uh, in your state or in your, uh, nation. You know, you had different ways you could advertise, but it was very, very expensive. And now it's, you know, you can put up a YouTube ad very inexpensively and have it targeted at only those people who are, you know, in the market for your type of service or product. So it's very much more targeted to use video um, and the internet to share about your products and services. So that is why uh, Encore entrepreneurs should use content marketing for promoting and expanding their businesses. And we recommend a consistency framework so that you can produce content consistently as a little piece of your business. It shouldn't have to take, you know, uh, the entire percentage of your work time to create this content. It should be very quick and easy to create it and then have it be consistently distributed. And we have a model where we suggest, you know, once a week you do a live stream to stay in touch with the people uh, who are interested in what you have to say. You give them little bits of advice and uh, you connect with them, give them the opportunity to ask questions in the chat and to engage with you in a way that is live in real time. And then you take that content and you break it up into littler pieces. Uh, you take the audio, you make a podcast, you take the transcription, you make a blog post, uh, you send it out on social media as posts and um, put out a newsletter. You encourage people to be on your email newsletter list. So all of this ties together and can be uh, part of the uh, content marketing framework that takes very little time and uh, effort and money when you do it as a framework and a schedule that you do every week. So you were talking about marketing. And I know that you've had years and years of experience in marketing and different ways of doing marketing. So why should people choose content marketing over any other uh, type of marketing method? Time and money. Yeah. Right. Uh, it boils down to uh, how much time you're willing to take in order to market your product or service and how much money you have to market your product and service. The advantage to content marketing is that it is 
A, relatively inexpensive in comparison to other forms of marketing, and B, doesn't require as much time. Uh, so if your life is more about the traditional uh, uh, parts of marketing uh, that we knew for years, from producing pamphlets to attending events to trade shows to uh, advertising in magazines or advertising on YouTube, that all requires an investment in time and money. And if you're an encore entrepreneur and you have a limited amount of time and money to invest because what you're trying to do is make a living and providing a service, that doesn't leave you a lot of time uh, or money to invest in, uh, invest in promoting your business via all the media that are uh, available to you. So you do something like Warner did, where he actually hires small companies to do things for him. This is my social media person. This is my graphics arts person. This is my advertising person, et cetera. Uh, so you end up making that investment anyway, when you could take content marketing, do one live stream a week. And as you just described, using the content marketing framework, leverage that into a variety of channels by reusing the same material, one live stream produces podcasts, produces blogs, produces shorts, produces all these other uh, 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 marketing uh, products that you can use in a variety of ways and use over a longer period of time. You, uh, and I'm going to use your show as an example, you could produce a short from one of your shows that you did last year because your, 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 the way the topics that you cover uh, don't change from year to year. You might learn more, but when you're talking about people um, working with themselves to become better, that doesn't change, right? That story doesn't change. So you could take content that you produced last year, convert it into a promotional item, whether it's a short or an Instagram post or something like that, and you can continue to use that. On the other hand, if you produce a pamphlet, that pamphlet has a life of, if you're lucky, 90 days, and then it's done. It, it, you, it's printed. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, smashed into reality. <laughs> and uh, so uh, there are lots of benefits to using digital technologies in, in order to produce content and then take that con content and expand it as a result of the framework that you and I talk about and that you've done such a good job of documenting, you know, how you do it. I know you produce, you, you have all those free products that you provide people uh, to be able to do that. So uh, it, it's not your business. Producing content is not your business. Producing content is the realistic way, especially if you're an entrepreneur, double, especially if you're an encore entrepreneur that requires the least amount of time and money investment in order to produce marketing that enables you to grow your service business, because that's, that's what this is all about. And if you look at it from that perspective and you say to yourself, this hour that I spend every Thursday afternoon um, uh, producing content, and then Shelly sits here for a little while afterwards and she turns it into podcasts and blog posts and things that go into our newsletter, et cetera. That's one good hour of time invested in marketing the services that you provide. At some point or the other, there might be this big explosion of people who subscribe to our channel and watch our, view, our, our videos for hours at a time. We don't expect that to happen. 
what we do expect to happen is that can pe people can see how good we are at what we talk about and therefore will consider using our services. That's the bottom line. So what is the quickest way for an Encore entrepreneur to get started with content marketing? The quickest. So it's actually a combination of quick and easy. So if I was an, and let's use Peter as an example. Peter is an expert in uh, financial management with the expectation that one day you're going to retire and you want to, and then, and I'm, I hate to say this because Warner was very much about this as well, uh, that one day you're going to retire and you want to make sure you can retire comfortably. And that one day you're going to die and you want to leave the people that you leave behind to benefit from whatever you produce during your life. Right. And they they were both very realistic about the, that model, right? Life, work, retirement, income, and then leave whatever's left behind. Right. And I don't think either one of them would say, just spend it all while you're retired so you don't have to leave anything. They didn't do that. They always talked in terms of work, retirement, death, you know. Um, but no, but not retirement and death, but retirement and then having life 2.0. Right. That is, that's something I learned from Peter. Right. And that there, there are so many opportunities between retirement and death that we can't lump them together like that. We have to leave that space for life 2.0 and traveling, seeing friends, seeing family, uh, doing the things you've always wanted to do, making a difference, leaving a legacy, all of these things that come to play uh, and, for encore entrepreneurs. And so when you consider that, right, when you consider that you have, you have to invest your time as wisely as you're capable of, not as wisely as is necessary, but as wisely as you are capable of, then the easiest way to market yourself is via digital content marketing. And the easiest way for you to implement that strategy is to have somebody do it for you. Yeah. Because that way you can be an expert at financial management or in uh, Warner's case, trust in trusts and wills and in DJ's case, uh, event marketing, uh, in in Luis's case, promoting the West Side Chamber of Commerce, it's, that's what that's how they make their living. Mm -hmm. They don't make their living at producing content and distributing that content for the purposes of promotion. So the easiest way and and quickest way, not only easy but quick way, and and probably least expensive way from their perspective, because again, it's otherwise an investment in time and money. Uh, I if if I was in Peter's position the last thing that I want would want to become is an expert in YouTube live streaming. Yeah. Right. And when you're focused on your business, these are the folks that know where to invest their time and money. And to them, time is more, uh, it's going to be hard to understand this, but it's easier for them to take back time than it is for them to spend money that enables them to take back time. It's a, Kind well, of a circle, yeah, of right? course, because by the time you get to this age, you you understand that time right. is a finite resource. Right. It can never be replaced. Right. And uh, it is precious. So you want to, you know, spend money rather than time whenever possible. And money is a replaceable resource, assuming yeah. that how you're investing it will have a return that is greater than the investment. Yeah. So, so the easiest way is to hire a company like us where we pretty much do it for you. Yeah, that's true. Right. Well, so they can just like Warner can just show up 
once a week. We do the behind the scenes button pushing and get your live stream out and uh, your podcast out and then you can move on with your day. And then, and then <laughs> what, what we would do is we would send them copies of the YouTube video or, or the live stream. We would send them copies of the podcast and we would send that to his associate or I forgot his name now. Was it Mark? Mint Social? Yeah. Yeah. We and and we would send them a transcript, transcript. and he would mm -hmm. spend the next week turning that into a broad variety of promotional tools that benefited Warner in the, in the long run. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and put it into his newsletter and everything. So as, when people are considering what they want to talk about or how to hold an audience or how to grow an audience so that they can speak to the people that they most want to work with, uh, I will talk about this also from Tim Schmoyer. And the question was, how can we increase watch time on YouTube? Because watch time is the, is the best way to build a loyal audience. Is if you're keeping them engaged and interested, they're going to watch longer. And that tells you this is valuable content and I'm going to keep doing this kind of content because these people are interested. And he says, having YouTube on smart TVs has changed things. We can watch YouTube on our televisions now, um, in including shorts as of this week. Uh -huh. YouTube on mobile seems to have a higher abandonment rate because people are more focused on the content they're viewing. However, on a big screen, people are more passive in their watching and the abandonment rate is much lower. How do you optimize for both types of viewers? Tell amazing stories that make people feel something because the screen size doesn't matter if people are engaged in your content. So talking about the things that uh, your target audience is most interested in, sharing stories about your experiences and experiences of your other clients can uh, provide that engagement and that excitement for what it is that you're sharing. I I think one of the key things that you mentioned there is, and you didn't use this word, but you described it, is the personalization of interaction. And television, when you have that big screen up on the wall like I do, and, and it's true, I am more likely to abandon something, a, a YouTube video on my smartphone than I am on the television. Uh, because on the, when I'm doing it on the smartphone, I'm really doing something else. I don't sit and watch my smartphone. No, it's time. on the TV. Half the right. time you're doing something else That's too, right. though. <laughs> right. That's exactly it, right? Yeah. So I'm paying attention, and it gives me the ability to do other stuff while I'm watching whatever it is I'm watching. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an important asset. So I'm less likely to, I have to, if I don't like it, I have to go from the kitchen to the living room, find the clicker thing, which takes me five minutes anyway, <laughs> and then go find something else that's going to interest me, you yeah. know? This way, I can just leave it on. And as a matter of fact, YouTube has learned enough about me now that even after that video is over, they start another one mm -hmm. that's along the same topic line. They know I like fresh stuff. And, and here's a hint for you. Even uh, if you're watching uh, YouTube videos on your television, you can still like and dislike that video. Click the button and it shows the bars. You can see like and dislike. If you want YouTube to learn more about your likes and dislikes, then take advantage of that feature. If they show you there's a, a there's a political commentator who has what I'd call clickbait titles, and for the longest time I'd fall for them, I'd spend eight minutes listening to them, and I realized, no, that was clickbait. And so I started disliking him. That's, it's not personal. I'm not disliking him. 
the dislike represents, I don't care to see this content, so don't even show it to me. And I've noticed over the past two weeks, YouTube is not presenting me that content when they present me content, either on my uh, smartphone, my tablet, or, or my television. So use that as a way to let YouTube know what you like and dislike. It's a little bit extra effort, but if you do it consistently for about a month, then YouTube gets you and it stops showing you the stuff that you don't want to see and starts showing you the stuff that you do want to see. And that little like and dislike button has more value than if you pop through and you see a video that has a uh, either a clickbait thumbnail or a clickbait title and you click on it. If you realize, as, as soon as you realize that was clickbait and it's not what you're interested in, the topic's not actually actually what you're interested in, go pop up, say dislike. You, they don't take it personally. The, the, the producers of those live streams or videos, they don't take it personally. That's just you letting YouTube know, I don't, I don't need to see this anymore. So I'll give you a good example of a way that um, Google is out there to answer people's questions, to help them, give them information that's valuable to what they are going through at the moment. So yesterday I went to the eye doctor, had, uh, you know, my, my, my eyes checked, got a new prescription, and I didn't purchase glasses there at the eye doctors because they told me uh, the frames aren't covered on my insurance until the new year. So I said, well, let me just wait and think about it. So I went online and started looking at different places online. You know, first I went through uh, iMed, which is our eye, eye you know, our eye insurance, our eyeglasses insurance. And I went there to see who, you know, works with iMed and what I could do. Maybe I could order glasses online. And I asked my daughter because she's ordered glasses online, you know, so I started looking online for, for glasses and picking some out and thinking about it. I didn't buy anything, but I thought about it. And I, you know, entered my email address into a few things. And then this morning I opened up uh, YouTube and it offered me a video. It was put out by an eye doctor and he was talking about the differences between buying glasses at a eyeglass store or online. And he went through 10 different uh, online services and tested the glasses to see, you know, if the prescription was correct and how good were the frames, how good was the construction. An excellent video for me, the perfect video for me. That's exactly what I needed to know. And he said, well, if you have a progressive prescription, I don't recommend you buying them online because they don't seem to get that quite right. That is something that you're going to want to have done in person uh, with, you know, in an eyeglasses, eyeglasses store that they can work on that with you. So that answered my question right there. And that eye doctor has now, you know, spoken to me. So maybe I would say, you know, I want to hear more from him. I want to learn what else he's got to say. And that would be an excellent opportunity for me to develop some kind of a relationship with that eye doctor if he had other products out that I was interested in. So that is just the doorway, right? That initial video that was excellent information that I needed at the time that I needed it. Uh, so for small business owners who want that kind of door for the, you know, the, the clients like me to come through to find them, this is why content marketing is so important. 
You put out great information, people find you, and they say, I need this information, I need to have a relationship with this person because I need those services. And because he was there at the with the right information at the right time, now he's top of mind. I don't, you know, there could be a hundred thousand eye doctors out there who have this same information, but he's the one that I found. So I like him because he had the information I needed at the time I needed it. I have a relationship with him now. And, uh, you know, I'm much more likely to want to do business with him. So this is how content marketing works. This is how Google and YouTube support you through content marketing. Uh, you know, when you put out valuable information for people who need it. And and I think that's an important um an important thought to remember is that the world is configured at the moment to support these strategies, right? If you imagine that the world is configured by the likes of Google and YouTube and TikTok and Instagram, et cetera, et cetera, you can, it makes you realize <clears throat> that if you're doing other kinds of marketing, you're not actually fitting into how the world is configured. The world is configured in terms of digital marketing. And if you're one of those companies that doesn't do digital marketing, you're behind not only the times, but you're behind the competition as well, because they're all taking advantage of it. I don't know if you remember last week's show, Last week's show was about content creation, content creators, and how they associate with brands. That research report that we presented to you wasn't designed to be, well, it, it, it benefited content creators because benefited content creators because you got a sense of what they were talking about. But that research report was targeted at big brands, companies who need to know how to use content creators like us in order to promote their product, their service, or even their vision. So the big companies are looking at this from that perspective as well. There's going to be less and less what I'd call paper advertising. There's going to be more and more digital promotion or digital content promotion by using uh, people like us in order to uh, promote your product, service, or capability. So it's the way the world is configured now. So you might as well take advantage of it. I mean, if, if, uh, well, I have the benefit of having lived in a very high tech. My career was very much in, in the high tech sphere. And so I had the benefit of that. So I did very, I've always done very little paper marketing. For me, it was always the, at, at the earliest, it was email. And I started using email early. I was a 2006 user of YouTube. Um, my eBay account goes back to 1999. So uh, I was early adopter of a lot of these things. And that benefited me in the long run, because it made me different from the other people that I was competing with in Washington. So now it's time to ask yourself, what are you trying to achieve? What challenges are getting in the way of you achieving that? And can we help you to get past those challenges, especially if it relates to content marketing? So if your next step would be then to create a uh, an appointment with us, find us by scheduling with uh, us at consulting.agkmedia.studio. We would love to hear about your vision for your business, your content marketing, and explain to you our content marketing framework 
and how we can take over, you know, that, that hour of your week and help you to create tons and tons of content marketing for your business. And it's going to be a different kind of call for you because number one, you're going to do a lot more of the talking than we are. And when we talk, we're not going to be selling. We're going to be helping you. Um, but it's good for us to know exactly as Shelly suggested, let us know what, what you're thinking, what you want to do, what you'd like to, what your vision is so that we can tell you how to implement that vision. And if it includes us, if your implementation includes us so much, the better, if it doesn't, then you and us, is that right? You and we <laughs> have spent a really good time together, a, a really good hour together. And that's what we look forward to. That's right. So that's all we have for this week. We'll be back again next week with another wonderful presentation of uh, our content. And if you don't know, we have three other shows. I have three other shows. <laughs> Shelly Carney, live stream coach, live cast lifestyle is on live on Wednesdays at four o'clock. Then we do uh, New Mexico day trips on Wednesday evenings at seven o'clock. We talk about day trips that we take across New Mexico. And then of course, uh, I'm on uh, Thursdays at 11 with Jen McFarland for Women Conquer Business. And we talk a lot more about marketing and applications and uh, strategies and tactics. So if you'd like to dive more deeply into that, join us on Thursdays at 11. And we'll see you again next week for Messages and Methods at one o'clock on Thursday. We look forward to seeing you then, guys. Thank you for joining Messages and Methods Livecast Live 2.0, hosted by Shelley Carney and Toby Yunus. Please subscribe and leave a comment or question, and we'll consider your ideas for future shows. Share this podcast with your family and friends so they can learn about current digital marketing practices, too. Check the show notes for links and resources, and please come back again next week.